welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of your choice. My guest for today is a podcaster and writer from Wrestling Headlines, my first returning guest, actually. It's my partner in crime, Matt Maher, a.k.a. Imp. And we are looking at the Inner Circle versus the Pinnacle in a blood and guts match from Dynamite, 5th of May, 2021. How are you going today, Imp? I'm so nice, you booked me twice. Oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Don't say I never do anything for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We've got a slightly different tone <laughs> to, to address it the last time I was on. That's what I was, that was the first thing I was going to ask. Last time you were here two weeks ago, we looked at Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Um, you, you could not have picked a match with a more different tone. <laughs> Why did you pick Blood and Guts to to go through with me today? So I, being that I live in the UK, I'm assuming you're something similar where don't often stay up to watch Dynamite. It's not really on at the best hour, given it's like on a Wednesday. And for me, it's Wednesday at like 1am. So like, I've got to get up the next morning. I'm not going to stay up till like three watching wrestling. <laughs> it's like as much as I'd like to. As much as I, as much as I see other UK people <laughs> staying up late. <laughs> just, uh, other people covering it. <laughs> I'm just like, no. I've got other I've got responsibilities. I can't be doing this. <laughs> However, I made an exception for Blood and Guts. The way that they'd set up the entire match, I was I was really looking forward to it. To at least see what they did with it, because we had it taken away last minute uh, in 2020, 2019. No, 2020. So just to see what were they going to do with it. And then it happened, and it was the most hyped I felt leaving an AEW show that I stayed up for, which again is a small bracket because I don't yeah. often stay up. <laughs> um yeah, it felt like a really special moment. I think the fact that I don't often stay up with AW, that kind of helps it kind of stay in that kind of special bubble yep. for me for yep. a night while I stayed up to watch professional wrestling and I had an absolutely amazing time. Afterwards, yep. I was just full of hype and DMing different people. <laughs> it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> just, uh, I, for me personally, I don't know what's worse, yours or mine. Probably yours, actually, because it happens when I'm at work. Um, so it happens about the middle of the day on a Thursday for me here in, on the east coast of Australia. Uh, so typically I will, I think I've watched maybe two matches live and typically I will just do everything I can to avoid spoilers. Now this, this one was one of the special ones where I uninstalled Twitter from my phone because <laughs> sometimes just by reflex you, uh, as I was telling Rich a, a number of weeks ago now, um, sometimes just by reflex you accidentally open something up and then you say, oh, Miro's just debuted. Great, thanks. That's a great. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. I do now. <laughs> I guess I'll see it again when I watch tonight. Um, so you can't get spoiled when you're asleep, I guess. But uh, certainly watching it live is doable for me. I just have to take a day off work. Whereas for you, it involves copious amounts of caffeine and uh, and staying up, and ruining your sleep cycle. So I think you've probably got the edge for me there. But this was certainly one where. If I could have, I would have watched it live because, man, there was so much hype around this match. And it's interesting to say that you came out of it super hyped because, as we'll get into when we hit the end of this match, it wasn't necessarily the experience everyone had. But obviously, there were certainly some people who loved it. And by way of introducing the match, as we do every week here on the Definitive AW Match Guide podcast, we introduce it with the flowers that it earned so Big Papa Dave, Dave Meltzer, gave it 4.5 stars for Wrestling Observer. On Grapple, those mean bastards at Grapple rated it 3.95 currently. Um, hey, yeah, Grapple are harsh, man. Grapple are harsh. That's what I'm finding out doing this thing. Um, cage match, 7.48. And on the definitive match guide that we did earlier this year that you can find on WrestlingHeadlines.com, the top 50 matches of AEW history, it came in at 37. So a pretty decent showing for it there. Just with the 37th imp, um, you're one of the people who voted for it highest. Do you think that was fairly placed, or how do you feel about that? Personally, for me, it's higher, but I'm somebody where if some if 
if the story you're telling is done absolutely perfectly and the rhythm of the match is absolutely perfect, but the stunt at the end isn't quite either the production is not quite right with it, which I think was the case with this one. They just shot the wrong camera angle because the immediate replay angle is the mm. one they should use. Yeah. Um, it happens. Those production things. You saw, that's one yeah. when I was, last time I was on, I was talking about how you saw those kind of errors in the production that were still taking yep. place recently. But this was one of them. That yep. it's, it's just a production botch and it sucks. They yep. shot from the wrong. They cut to the wrong camera that showed just way too close of an image. Yeah. But the actual story of everything they told the entire match. Yep. For me, there's it's pure hype and mayhem and there's yeah. no incorrect beat with it. The push, the Mufasa moment for MJF when he does that, <laughs> <laughs> just like it. It's every beat for me is so damn good and it creates a super villain in the process. It's uh, that's why I put it in my my top ten AW matches of the year because it, it I it really was that that great that amazing uh, and I didn't I didn't enjoy War Games that year uh, the one it was War Games before it so the fact that I did like this match as much as I did it, was, it felt like a breath of fresh air to me because I hadn't been enjoying the two ring things then AW did one and it was one of my favorite things ever. Well, you've just answered all of the questions I was going to put to you today. So <laughs> we've been there if you're not kidding. We are nothing if not paying attention to detail here at the Match Guide podcast. Um, so we will get into depth. But look, I yeah, we'll I'll, I'll I'll keep my powder dry for it, and we'll definitely dig more into all of those things that you spoke about there. Um, just as I guess the build for the build for this. Um, yeah, and this this match the build for it goes all the way back to an early investor call before dynamite was even happening for WWE, where someone asked Vince McMahon what they thought about AEW. And he happened to mention that uh, they weren't necessarily similar to WWE. They are more of a blood and guts promotion. So what does AEW do? They make a match out of blood and guts and a t-shirt out of it. And being the carnies that they are, they use it for all that it is worth. Of course, this was one of the most hyped match types because it was originally scheduled for 2020 for the Elite versus the Pinnacle. It was going to be a really big match, but literally the week that it was going to happen was when everything had to go into lockdown. And I do remember them trying to think, like, can we do this with limited crowds? Can we? Do? And it just ended up being like, no, we cannot do this. And it was originally scheduled for the Elite versus the Pinnacle. It was going to be um, Cody hangman kenny and the bucks in there against the inner circle uh of course as we know that that did not happen and it was then set up off the back of what became a year-long program of mjf first joining the inner circle sort of sowing different seeds of discontent throughout it um trying to take over it in some ways trying to kick people out of it and then revealing at the end that he the whole time never actually wanted to be a member of the inner circle and was instead setting up the pinnacle which was his stable that he would have with tully blanchard Wardlow, sean spears and ftr dax harwood and cash cash lawson cash Cash Wheeler, Wheeler. goodness me. There you go, got it. I've got it down here. I've got (laughs) (laughs) And this was, they had a number of segments together, but this was actually the first match that they had together um, was in War Games. So I don't want to go into until the end of it, like was that the right decision or not? So keep your powder dry on that imp. But what did you think of the build-up to this actual match? You've already said you were very hyped, but but specifically, you know, going into detail, why why were you so hyped for it? It's one of those that had bubbled and twisted really well because it started with MJF, that realisation, everybody's in a stable round here. It looks like I'm going to have to get into a stable myself. So then kind of politics his way into the inner circle. It's interesting. He says that he wanted to do it because he thought everyone was in a stable. But the reason that he did actually start want to join a stable was because he got beaten by John mm. Moxley in a one-on-one yeah. match. And I think what he realised was that he can't do it by himself. Um, which is a, an interesting chink to the MJF character that I, I do hope to explore later on that, you know, under this facade is is, is potentially some insecurity um, beyond this facade that he puts out there. Um, but I'll, I'll let you keep going there, Imp. I'll just get me all excited for MJF Darby Allen. <laughs> just all the ways it can go. <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, or and see, so talk about insecurities. MJF versus champion Hangman Page. Oh dear. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's get back on track. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so 
MJF part of the inner circle. That's what causes the inner circle gradual face turn as like mm. Sammy Guevara first. That, that a moment during this, which I just will always remember, Sammy Guevara what uh, making that decision on the stage to walk down the babyface tunnel. It's like, oh yes, and that's never anything they've explicitly said. It just purely by action, you know what's happened. So, oh, so yeah. damn good. Visual storytelling at its, at its best. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that that slow realization of uh, MJF doing the con and Chris Jericho. It, it, was, it was like the that one segment where it was the double triple turn. It's that different twists at every corner. Yep. Where yeah. you think MJF, uh, uh, something Guevara comes out and it's the he outs MJF, but then MJF goes out. Ah, I knew I knew you were going to do that and does a full twist. But to which then Chris Jericho was, I knew you knew you oh, you're going to do that. <laughs> but then MJF, then with another one of, oh, I knew that you knew that I knew you knew I was going to do that. <laughs> and out come the pinnacle of a full attack. And, uh, it's like a, um, like a Scooby-Doo ending where they're just yeah. pulling different masks. Yeah. <laughs> that, that pinnacle attack, I think, sets it up really, really well. Because then you get the promos to build up that pinnacle and it kind of just, it, go, it just launches from there. Yep. Yeah, the the initial pinnacle beatdown where they just decimated the inner circle and then they had a really fiery return as well where they um the pinnacle were in a dressing room together, they were discussing, you know, what kind of suits they were gonna wear, and the MJF opens the door to the bathroom and it's just like two of the inner circle are there and he closes it and he goes to the other door and there's more inner circle there and they just go mental on each other i think one of them gets busted open hard and there's just blood everywhere and it's really gritty and really intense stuff and the the resolution to it the well not even the resolution but the the start of the resolution to it is going to be the this match type that has been teased as i said throughout uh and it's something that i think people are really excited for given how they did so well with the initial cage match between Cody and Wardlow uh, and with the, the intensity of this rivalry, it really felt like it, it, it had earned a blood and guts match and felt fitting for a blood and guts match, even though the blood and guts match was the first thing that, that kicked it off. Um, I was also, yeah, I think everyone was super hyped for this whole, this show and this match itself um, getting into the actual match. Uh, I, I was wanted to ask because you said, you know, with the WWE, you you know, you didn't feel the double mat, like the double ring setup it didn't necessarily hit for you. What did you think of the setup that AEW had? I again, part of it is the production and the way that they presented it because it is just two rings with a big cage around it, so it's pretty much the same. <laughs> but <laughs> like the differences I've noticed with both the AEW cage and this double cage for blood and guts. They give room on the edge of the ring instead of it like lowering to a point where you can't really go on the ring apron. They give them room to do that because they know the style that they wrestle. They're gonna have bouncy people, <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> so they they give room for them to be able to do that. It's like a nice it's a nice little touch to fit their style. I yep. personally quite like it. And the WWE one's fine for their style. So yep. it's two things that I like. And but for me the difference is the filming of it. The way AW filmed it was to make it look as large and grand as possible. Yep. And you saw it during the show as well, where they got the camera shot, where it pans up with like blood and guts written on a pane of glass. Mm. And it kind of like pans really low angle and it pans, pans yeah. up to see the massive cage when they're in the cage as well. The kind of the way that they film it is to make it look as long as possible. Mm. See the two different people at either side of the cage feel like they're miles apart from each other. Yep. Compared to WWE, where it's the same production as every other match, it's mm. just that out the cage here. So we do it. They adapt to the cage, obviously, but it's the same style of production. AEW changed up their game to specifically mm. make this cage look as large as possible. Yeah. Certainly, it feels like there's a bit of extra space. Of course, the biggest difference mm. is the roof on top. Um, mm. AEW has a roof on top of theirs, harkening back to the old war games of WCW era. Uh, and however, the this cage, I haven't watched all of the WCW War Games matches, but the ones I have seen, cage is significantly lower than the one that it is here, which, uh, as you said, suits the style that AEW is going for. You know, it's still quite a high cage. One of the things I don't like about this cage and all the cages that AEW uses is I, I don't like that people get trapped in the side of it. I don't know. There's just something mm. about that to me that just doesn't feel... <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, how do you feel about it? How does that, what does that, how does it make you feel? 
I guess the the only emotion I get from it is when someone gets chucked into it and you can see them maybe nearly go down the side. I'm like, oh, oh, because that's obviously going to hurt. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm, I'm more scared for the performer to accidentally get kind of like an arm caught or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, yeah. yeah. I mean, in this match, Santana and Ortiz both get trapped in the side. And it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't mm. like that about the AWK. That's a personal mm. preference. Mm. Um, if they wanted to fix it, I'm sure they could, but they've chosen not to. So that's the way they go. Um, of course, with the, the presentation of both teams here, you've got the pinnacle in all white. Uh, which is fantastic for bleeding buckets onto <laughs> and mm-hmm. in a circle in prison outfits with their names on it. And then local prisons from where they were born, um, where they grew up um, showed on the printed on the back as well. Uh, very nice touch and proud and powerful. Of course, they've busted out the dead president's face paint, which they do for their biggest matches. And when they mean business, one of the uh, interesting things I liked about this contrast was the the pinnacle wearing all white what they represent in their minds is this sort of pure wrestling pure wrestling style like they are about Mm. traditional wrestling they're not pure guys obviously but they've got a pure mindset for for wrestling Uh, whereas in a circle they've got scars they've got history they know they're not the most savory people and you know they know they're reformed now but they still wear their history on the back on their backs you know for all to see you know just as chris jericho admits in the build-up i can't remember is the build-up to this match or another one where he says like i know i've pissed off a lot of people and at one point brings back mike tyson i can't remember whether that's before or after this match but i think it's after but you know that's that sort of fits that ethos of you know these guys they're they're gritty they are badasses you know they've got the bikers and the security turning up on motorbikes and and that but they're reformed as well and they're not afraid to admit it um and, and i like that contrast in the you know in the styles and yeah as i said the the white also works fantastically for bleeding on <laughs> i think part of it as well is the i guess the modern day villain of the faux good guy uh with the, the white gear the white gear has worked yep. recently really well yep for the baddies in wrestling. They yep. just kind of adopted it. I feel like there's a social kind of shift that's happened that uh, makes yep. that actually it's going to lean into the case. There's a fantastic line in, um, it's a Jerry Lawler line in the WrestleMania 20 triple threat where Triple H is wearing white boots and he just, he's <laughs> like spooking for Triple H and he goes, good guys always wear white. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you've got, uh, you've got the Pinnacles theme song and then you've got Judas for me, Chris Jericho just enjoys people singing his song a little bit too much, <laughs> given that it's a really serious yeah. match. But you know, he, given that he, you know, he cr- literally sung, he sings his own song. I kind of, kind of understand where he's coming from, so <laughs> I'll take that. But yeah, big, big match set up here, big feel to it, very nice. I, I love the the gold trim on Sean Spears's gear. Just before we move on from from the gear and from the the setup, I love the the gold trim and white. That's a fantastic look there. Even um, the steel chair course, had a white seat on it with his logo. <laughs> Quite like yep, that as well. Yep, that's true. That's true. The chairman, the chairman, of course. Now Dax Harwood versus Sammy G to start. Fantastic opening combination. Um, we won't be going into everything, of course, but uh, I think it, it, it's worth going through these early sequences because they do set the tone early. You know, Sammy G kicks things off. Actually, I should mention earlier, I should mention that Sammy G cut a fantastic promo the week before this talking about how he's going to go in first um, because he's just so pissed off at how Maxwell has um, treated the inner circle and treated his friends. So he's fired up, ready to go in. And Dax Harwood's fresh off having a absolute banger with jungle boy in a one-on-one matchup earlier in the year. So, you know, they're both just frothing to get at each other. Uh, And as soon as the bell rings, Sammy G kicks things off by leaping over both ropes in the middle, taking out Dax crowds, just blows the roof off immediately early on. Dax goes for a pin, (laughs) then remembers he can't use it. You know, just that, that uh, default, that reflex to go for that. They're exchanging blows Dax is already bleeding before anyone else can even get in the cage. <laughs> From the word go, it's absolute chaos. Of course, the uh, the pinnacle already know they're getting they're going to get the advantage. Why you ever give the faces the advantage? I don't know. Wrestling just always just have a double sided coin. 
just as Spears is about to enter with the chair, Sammy hits a springboard cutter so he can then go one-on-one. Sammy gets the upper hand until Dax gets back, distracts Sammy, and then Spears hits him with a brutal headshot with the chair. Mm. There are some real hard headshots in this. Um, and the pinnacle take over. And they, we then sort of get into the rhythm of the match, or at least the initial part of the match, where, of course, you've got the fire and desire of the inner circle guys coming in. Ortiz comes in next, just lobbing chairs around to get things back on equal ground. Um, Spears and Guevara hit a spectacular, like a really incredible Spanish fly where they're both balancing on the ropes of the double rings. But because the pinnacle keep getting that advantage. They use that to get the advantage. The inner circle catches up and then the pinnacle advances. They did a fantastic job of setting that up early, setting the scene with like really gritty and fiery sequences. What, what do you remember from early on in the match imp? It's the setting up of what's to come later. Like yep. The entire first half is amazing foreshadowing for what's about yep. to happen later. Uh, as you were saying, the first chair shot of the many, <laughs> you know, they're going to be chair shots in here. Oh, <laughs> and it's think. a brutal chair shot. Like, mm. it's like a Rock Mick Foley 99 Royal Rumble level mm. of unprotected. Well, I don't know. I can't remember if he got his hands up or not. I didn't put that in my notes, <laughs> mm. but it's a brute of a mm. headshot. And the, the Dax, just the little thing of the Dax pin. Now everybody knows there's no pin, so everyone's in. Yep. Just, yeah, you just do that little thing and everybody's aware of it. And there's nothing to the bell rings. It gives the chance for the commentators to just get across. Even though they've done it already with Justin Roberts before the match, they're getting across in the match again, just so everybody's on the same page. At this point, if you've not caught on to the fact that there's no pins and nothing happens to the bell rings, <laughs> like this is on you because they've explained it <laughs> so many times. <laughs> and they've visually shown you a pin not working. <laughs> so I don't know what else to do. <laughs> the referee didn't even count it, didn't even try and count it. <laughs> yeah, like the slow escalation of violence, Dax immediately bleeding to let you know there's going to be blood, oh, and boy, was there yeah. blood. <laughs> it's just, uh, and the dynamics of the, whenever the heels, their person comes in, obviously they have the upper hand, because that's how these matches always work and should mm. always work, because when they've tried it the other way, it's just not worked. Which yep. is a, it's a level of predictability, but the other side of the coin, it just doesn't work. So you kind of, you got to run with it with these matches. <laughs> it's not, it's, the other, the other pattern doesn't, it doesn't flow right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, this, the way that it all built and built and you know what pattern's coming uh, to that mm. point. So then when the big boys start to enter as well, it's a completely different dynamic, but you're kind of set up to the flow of the match for the second half. And again, the escalation of violence, the messiness of the match as well. For me, there's a yep. really nice messiness to it. It yep. really adds to the brawly style. Some just straight up botches of, oh, that sucks. Like Sammy Guevara just face planting when trying some form of springboard. <laughs> like just, it didn't happen. <laughs> or yeah. whatever, whatever cut up Cash Wheeler. I can't remember what that was, but he was oh, bleeding pretty man. heavily. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what did you think of the blade work in this match? <laughs> there so was much. sloppy stuff, man. Cash Wheeler's blade job mm. looks just gnarly. Mm. Some were better than others. That's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's impossible for us to go over every beat of this match because as as him said, it was chaos and that's what it was meant to look like. And those those botches, I think, like to me, obviously you don't want everything to be botchy. Mm. But the odd botch just can sometimes add just like an element of grit and realism. Uh and for me that worked in you know this chaotic environment maybe something does catch his eye at the last second so he you know misses doing this precise athletic maneuver that he might nail every other time but there's just so much going on around him and you know who's to say that somewhere over on the other side of the ring someone hasn't hit a, hit the ropes and that's affected his balance or yeah anyway yeah like some things that stood out to me is um cash grinding ortiz's face up against the cage while Santana's on the outside just blowing an absolute gasket. And I just love that because you just know who's the next guy that's going to be coming in. Santana's going to be coming in in like, you know, a minute's time. And he's frothing at the mouth seeing this. But at the same time, Cash is like trash talking him while grinding his mate up against the, the cage. Ortiz grinding barbed wire into the faces of Harwood and Wheeler. Just, you know, as we said, there's blade jobs and there's barbed wire. Um, and then, of course, Wardlow destroying everyone when he comes in. <laughs> and then on the other side, Jake Hager comes in, destroying everyone, and then them squaring off. What are just some of the spots that stood out for you, Imp? 
I guess even one which was under the box as well, where they're all jumping on Wardlow, and he goes, I think he goes for to get someone up in, his, uh, in a cavy, and he just kind of collapses a little bit and mm. goes for it again. But the whole point is, then he's collapsed, he's gone for it again. No, that, that's the indie thing of, we'll just do the spot again. Mm. <laughs> he's like, oh, that sucks. But it put it accidentally into a nice spot. It put him over this big, strong guy because he fell over, got back up whilst all of the inner circle around him. So they just jumped him again. <laughs> just kind of did that thing. I was like, oh, he is a big boy, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> it takes a long to take him down. And that was a real high point as well. Uh, the Again, if you rip up the ring mat, that's always going to add a, re- a sense of danger. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, like, oh, we'll get into that in a yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for me, like, as we've said, the action was fantastically chaotic in a really good way. And I do like the tone that it set. However, I did feel like at times you could see the seams of this match. This is not necessarily even me just thinking with my critical brain in that, like, you could see these spots they'd set up. But then in between them, sometimes it felt a little bit aimless, particularly as the match went on. And I felt... The first time that that reared its head was, as I said, I really liked how they had like Wardlow and Hager squaring off. But I, one thing I disliked was that when Hager gets in, he's like destroying everyone on his side and Wardlow's kind of just off on the other side of the ring, just stomping. And they've obviously set it up that like to to set up this this mammoth battle of the two titans – they're going to have to just one side destroys one side, the other side destroys his side. And then they finally meet for me. I could just see the seams a little bit too much in, in that particular spot. That was the first one. And there's some others afterwards where you could see what they'd laid out, but maybe didn't happen as seamlessly. And the flow wasn't as good as what I would want, you know, a really high level match to be. Because that's um because even though I'm not I've kind of fallen off the WWE you know, the NXT War Games thing, those matches normally you didn't really you never felt those seams really mm. with those matches. Um, it, that's a very TNA thing actually, <laughs> like with the TNA mm. lockdown matches, uh, that would of, often happen there where you, mm. you just you're very blatantly just setting up the next spot. But that's mm. part of that the TNA style quite often was mm. that uh, very choreographed kind yeah. of way to run their matches. And I felt, yeah, that definitely did seep into this one. <laughs> it was definitely there for like a middle portion. Yeah, I felt I felt it more, honestly, I felt it more towards the end. And then on mm. reflection, saw these other parts when I went to the rewatch and, was, uh, um, and sort of noticed this is where it started to seep into the match. And the first one was that Wardlow-Hager square off, which, as I said, was very good. And they'd set it up really well in the build mm. with these two guys who initially (laughs) they did nothing but eyeball each other (laughs) but then you could just see like and and Hager's just so dumb and he's thick as a plank but (laughs) you know he's just got this one thing in his mind where it's just like Hager smash (laughs) (laughs) they've nailed his character in AEW (laughs) (laughs) just stare not very intelligent but he can beat you up (laughs) I like it yeah as I said look that's where it just started to seep in and I love the tone and I love the chaos, but for, there was a little bit of aimlessness at times during this. Uh, as I said, things start to culminate when Jericho enters. The teams separate out, um, sort of recovering on their sides before they get into the final setup. And I didn't mind this. It could be contrived, but I didn't mind this because this is when the match can actually end. Everything up until this point has been wearing one another down, slowly entering and setting the scene for the the match beyond. I think they called it the all-out assault in this. So they they separate, they sort of regather themselves, ready for the portion of this match where the rubber hits the road and the stakes are at its highest. And then, of course, they just rush together and start brawling. Different pockets sort of go off, and they are actually immediately trying to get submissions on each other in different ways. Initially, the pinnacle get their adva- get an advantage slightly, but you know they're all off in different parts trying to get the submission in their own way. And I really like this because you've got like Jericho choking Spears with the metal strut. So that's like the way he's trying to do it. Wardlow and Hagar, they're having like a Kimura and choke battle. So they're like going for very technical submissions, whereas Jericho and Spears are using like the the arena. 
Whereas FTR and Proud and Powerful and Sammy and Sean Spears, they they actually rip the ring up and they're mm-hmm. just going for they're going for normal wrestling, but they're like we're gonna do it on the floorboards, so you're gonna get hurt. And I did like that that sort of character element where they they've all got different ways they're trying to pull this submission out. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it's just the way that the violence gradually builds within this final part as well. Uh, to the point where we you come back from advert and you get the, one of my favourite AW kind of meme pictures of Chris Jericho on the outside with his thumb up, <laughs> smiling <laughs> on the edge of the cage. <laughs> so good. Yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, I forgot to mention Santana has a fork. Oh yes, he does. He just stabs him in the. <laughs> yeah, because that's what eventually the the inner circle actually are the ones that sort of get on top but can't get the can't get the submission and they all sort of circle mjf and and they all take turns beating him getting their revenge for how he'd played them for six months or however long it had been in the build-up and at this point i i do like the character because i mentioned before how mjf he's smart but he also he's someone who who knows when he's beaten and knows when he's being bested that's what happened with john moxley right like that's the whole reason he wanted to have a stable around him was because he knew he'd been beaten um and in this match he knows that he's been beaten he's getting beaten down by the inner circle and he decides that he's going to escape but i don't know if this was pre-planned with tully or if he you know just told him or you know gave him the word of like this is what's going to happen tully grabs a ref steals the key lets mjf out uh, mjf like runs out tries to escape because he knows that this is not going well for him and he knows it's not going well. And Jericho manages to follow MJF up. And as you said, he went on the cage and this was, this was the point where, as I said, I felt like the seams and the cracks started to appear in this match. I felt like the beatdown maybe went on a little bit too long, felt like they had set out, like this is going to have to go for 10 minutes or something when it could have gone for five and to me, it lost its intensity a little bit in this. Did it Did it oh, for you, 100%. or were you feeling that intensity the whole way through? So from what when I watched it live, the thing that I knew, I remembered was that's when they went to ad break. So, <laughs> so like the portion before mm. Jericho is on the cage, that's all during the ad break because it comes back to him on the cage. Mm. And it's like a massive – and that, that is where it lulls. And it makes it it's a weird go back to watch because quite often whenever it does go to ad break, there's a bit of like the first part of the match, not quite as much. But the second part, whenever they would go to ad break in the second half of the match, they would just slow down whatever they were doing. Mm. And 100 percent, that is when it you would kind of get that feeling. Mm. So it's different watching it on fight or watching it back on fight like we yeah. did for this. Fight's amazing for AW, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything is all there. Mm. But the... Yeah, so the whole thing of uh, that kind of portion of it, it's because um, I was watching it going, okay, this is what I remember. This is when the ad break was. And I remember it came back with Jericho already on the side of the cage smiling. <laughs> that, that was yeah. the shot they returned to. So, it, but when you're watching it nowadays on fight, suddenly it starts to lull. Yep. So yeah. I, I, I'm watching it remembering, oh, yeah, this is when they went to ad break. But obviously, if you're watching it now, suddenly there's just a lull in the match. <laughs> so this kind of takes it down a peg. Yeah, as um, I said, I'm I'm very torn because I love, mm. as I said, I love there's like some really characterful ways that they're trying to get the submission or the or the give up in like Hager and Hager and Wardlow doing the MMA thing because they're both sort of trained in that in in kayfabe and in real life for Hager's perspective. You know, FTR are just doing like this 80s thing of pulling up the ring and Sammy's just being as athletic as possible because that's how he knows he can do it. Jericho knows, you know, he's the veteran, so he's trying to use the ring. And then once they get the advantage, the inner circles like punishing MJF for what they've done. But yeah, as I said, like while it has its really good bits, as you as you said, it, it sort of drags and really like they timed the Chris Jericho climb poorly because he was paused on that cage and like oh, he was <laughs> and he was, yeah. he was paused in that cage. He was visibly like signaling to the crowd to get into it because he wanted them when they come back from the break, he wants them to be really alive because they're about to hit the final stretch of the match. But ultimately, like we have to judge this on what happened and given the stakes of this match, given the intensity of this match, that's not what should be happening. He should be like straight away up on top. there, trying to get MJF's throat before this, they're stabbing him with a fork. 
Um, so he shouldn't be pausing on the edge for it. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I have to critique that there. I, I can't let that go. Get, they get on top, and the cameras do. Apparently, there's still stuff going on in the ring. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, yeah. The cameras do sort of focus on this, this what's happening up the top here, and I think that's fair enough because this is like this is the the showdown between MJF and Chris Jericho, the two guys that they're at the center of this animosity and this rivalry. And MJF's facial expressions on top are fantastic when he like begs, Amazing. he's begging for mercy, <laughs> and he's got blood dripping down his face. Absolutely brilliant. Jericho gets him in the walls, nearly taps him out. MJF hits a low blow to get out. MJF gets the soul of the earth, trying to get Jericho to tap, but Jericho's not going to get out either because, you know, he's got a light fire and he's got, you know, he's not going to give up in this match. Um, MJF hits Jericho with the diamond ring. Jericho's now bleeding and then threatens to throw him off the cage. And, you know, I love, as I said, the character of MJF really shines through in this match in that, like, firstly, he knows when he's beaten, so he tries to escape because he's, he's you know, he's got rat cunning to him. But then also he is actually smart because he could have just thrown Jericho straight off, but he knows that he has to win this match. And to do that, he has to get a verbal submission. And so he uses the bond that he knows that the inner circle have with one another against them. And instead of just throwing Jericho off, he threatens to throw him off. And of course draws the, uh, the surrender from Sammy G um, before we get into the Mufasa moment. as you put it, um, What did you think of the ending of the match imp? I, per- personally, I think it's because the issue quite often you see, especially in WWE when they can't fulfill a promise, they're teasing. It's like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to tease this? Well, no, because you know how foreshadowing works, right? You know how setups work. Yeah. If you if you don't pay it off, you're, it, the crowd will boo because you, yeah. you can't fulfill a promise and you sense it. Uh, they needed something because that's what, it, with the increasing violence, with mm. what has been set up throughout the course of the match, there has to be something big at the end. And then going onto the cage fits absolutely perfectly. What on earth are they going to do? But then the teasing of the push, I think, is the absolute perfect note where, ah, but you don't have to actually do the spot. You can just, and Sammy's the perfect guy as well, because I can't picture anybody else in the inner circle Mm. actually giving up at that point. But Sammy's the one, he's the one. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) JK gets too dumb to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) So Sammy's like the perfect guy (laughs) to to be screaming like, no, no, no. Again, he's the intelligent one who spotted MJF from a mile away the entire time as in the inner circle. Exactly. So again, he is the perfect guy to stand up for this. and But the Mufasa moment is the just, oh, just a, yep. such a creating of a super yep. villain. And the oh, camera work yep. around it is amazing. Yeah. Interesting tidbit, actually. Um, when Chris Jericho had a Hell in a Cell match uh, against Triple H back in like the year 2001, I'm going to say, it also finished on the roof when uh, Triple H pinned him on the roof. So interesting sort of oh. bit of symmetry there. Anyway, as you said... MJF, after getting the surrender, after getting the win, because he is the boil on the ass of life. <laughs> As JR says, MJF throws Chris Jericho off the top anyway, and Dynamite goes off the air with MJF on the top of the cage, looking like an absolute star, just epic shots of blood dripping down his face, but him eyeballing the camera and slagging off the crowd and I mean, excuse the pun, this is the pinnacle for MJF right now. <laughs> yeah, just incredibly shot once we get... <laughs> yeah, what, what, there's one, one thing to MJF, yeah. We are going to get to it. Don't worry, guys, we are going to get to it. But, you know, MJF standing on the top, the, his music going off in the background, beautiful stuff, beautifully done. Yeah, there's... um, cause I remember, I swear... We, I don't know why we were talking about it, but <laughs> maybe it was just hyped on DMG as well. I can't remember. But it was just that thing of the way it is shot. It's just, it's all of the focus is on MJF. Mm. It's all intentional. And yes, they cut to Jericho and in a circle kind of just looking at Jericho, but mm. all of the attention is on MJF. And because it's all about this entire match, everything, the like, last hour of our lives was all about creating MJF the supervillain. And they did it. And yep. it's beat for beat perfect. Yep. It's not It's not quite Revolution 2021 kind of uh, ending botch <laughs> thing to just 
there's a, again another match where every beat of it is absolutely perfect until the production at the final bit <laughs> where it's uh, uh, again uh, twice aw amazing matches with just a production in the end but it's the it's the production around it because uh, that's why i was applauding all of the production around the cage because mjf on top of the cage it's just the Oh, the, the the cherry on top, just the oh, bon appetit. <laughs> He's just standing there covered in blood. Again, the violence in the cage suddenly sets up the fact that MGF's covered in blood. Just the momentum of it all to get onto that cage. And it's, yeah, the absolute perfect ending to what they had set up. And it's a stunt big enough to warrant the violence of what had come earlier. It pays off really well. Mm. And then you get the MJF evil moment of he gave up. But then he pushed him anyway. Just like, oh, yeah. yes, such a good yeah. villain. <laughs> yeah, such a villain. Absolutely. Um, now, as we said, we will get to it. When Chris Jericho falls, they go to a close-up from this platform that's been installed onto the main stage at Darby's place. Uh, and Chris Jericho falls in, and it's clear that this platform is mostly either cardboard or wood and it's you can't see a crash pad but it's obviously protecting a crash pad for him Mm. to land i'm gonna say straight up this would have still hurt chris jacko to take (laughs) i once um i once did a you could even go you could try and find it on youtube i did oh yeah i've clicked clicked it into a podcast oh fantastic (laughs) thing called pillow fight club where it was a pillow fight um where i i filmed in uni two mates having a pillow fight and it finished with them both being on the top of um a four-wheel drive car otherwise known as an suv everywhere that is in australia they were standing on top of that car and one of them hits it and falls off and we put a, a mattress underneath for them to fall onto and i was the first one to do it and the first time i took it it took the wind out of me and that's only off the top of the car this was a really high thing so this would have hurt chris jericho but it did not look good it wasn't a good look and this came also this all does it doesn't happen in a vacuum this came within uh, a month or so i'm gonna say a month to six weeks of another match that had a a big ending planned the um, exploding barbed wire death match um, between John Moxley and Kenny Omega, where it also had a production error at the end, really sort of undermined and robbed the match and the ending of some of the gravity. Imp, how much do you think the legacy of this match is harmed by the fact Chris Jericho's fall did look contrived? Oh, well, seemingly measurably by 0.05 if we go by grapple. It's it def as in it's the one thing people talk about. Mm. So this is its legacy, which yep. is same with same revolution. They're both amazing matches. Yep. We're actually going to be looking be... at that match in a few weeks' time, funnily enough. So yeah. To just give yeah. a preview, but continue okay. on him. Uh, but yeah, so it that the character arcs throughout the match, the momentum of it, the story that they're telling, uh, the setting up, the escalation. It is all beat for beat perfect. But then the ending stunt, the production's off. Yep. So, which is a shame. And it's the exact same for the Revolution Barbed Wire Deathmatch. It is an amazing match. It's incredible. The And I would personally say the beat of Eddie Kingston running out to cover John Moxley is even better for me personally than the MJF Masafa yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> just the raw emotion that came out of me when he did that. <laughs> it's just, oh. Um, but when the production isn't quite there, that's all it's remembered for, even though they have 30 minutes of amazing storytelling and wrestling mm. and just get sucking you in. But the actual moment of, OK, now we mm. do the stunt we've been building to, which they built to perfectly. Yeah. But it's just off. But for me, the worst one, the Chris Jericho one, at least with the Revolution one, the entire thing just fails. <laughs> at least there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Like the only equivalent here would be when MGF pushes him. Chris Jericho is so scared he refuses to. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just grabs the of, edge of the grabs yeah. the edge of the the thing and just lets himself down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the only equivalent I can think of because here he does the fall. It's all perfect, and then the camera work at MGF is amazing. But the camera they cut to it, it just shows it from such a the ending feels naff. Because he lands and you see a comfy landing for him. Doesn't mean it was comfy, but visually it looks it. It doesn't look, oh my God, I've been taken out. It does look like, oh, you've given him a protective landing. And the worst thing about it is they had the good angle. 
And the first angle they show on the replay where it's a bit more of a wide shot and you see and they're both smaller and you see him do the full forward with the crash. But because you don't see any of the cushions or the whatever it is underneath him pop up, it feels more devastating. Mm. That was a camera to cut to. But that's not the cam- and in terms of the first impression of the fall. The first impression of the fall is, I guess, the Kenny Omega reaction for his G1 match with Yano, where he sees yeah. next to him onto the corner pads. And he's like, oh, actually, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> and, yeah, cool, cool. Uh, and it's so important to get that first one right because like yeah there are so many of these sorts of stunts that get done and there's so many that are protected i mean obviously the mick foley one is not protected but th- mm. since then like the the wwe when they've known that there's going to be a big fall happening off the ca- off the cage of a hell in a cell they put things in place to prevent it or when they've had you know like a big fall off a platform or something jeff hardy going off the titantron mm. or or even say for instance AEW when kenny omega at the end of the um stadium stampede did the big one-winged angel on semi Guevara. you know they make sure they just nail that first shot so even though you could see that like you know, Rikishi's falling into a pile of sawdust on a truck with suspension. You know, Shane McMahon's going off the going off some big stand at WrestleMania with the Miz. That initial shot preserves it, and this one didn't, which is it sucks because they have the yeah. shot that does look good. They have the shot <laughs> that does look good, but they just didn't use it. And so, yeah, as I said, this it, it does harm the legacy of this match because the immediate aftermath of this match wasn't. Whoa, whoa, what the heck did we yeah. just watch? You <laughs> was not, mm. yeah, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, was, I was still able to leave hyped because it's yep. the type of thing where I've been used to the feeling anyway. Like the modern day WWE thing for most of their stunts, apart from cage related stuff, yep. is they'll, they won't show the landing. Like yeah. uh, Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton in an ambulance match. Where they're from, like just last year, where they're brawling the top of the ambulance. One of them got as either suplexed or just lifted over to fall onto the other side of the amb- onto the ambulance. They just didn't show the landing. Yeah. They, they, the the camera's looking up at the thing, which is like the other when you're trying to think of alternatives or oh what could they have done. Well, the alternative is to look up as Chris Jericho falls, mm. but also that's you you lose the impact mm. you you need the impact and the thing you learn from it turns off learning from what the competition are doing with when wwe did that and it's, it's just a little thing in a match it's not the big final stunt so it's not entirely comparable but they've done it in different matches as well just to show them disappearing behind a structure and then mm. it's like that oh my god <laughs> the yeah you never you never saw ray mysterio or alistair black land after they got thrown off the top of titan towers they just sort of showed up next week on raw <laughs> yeah <laughs> apparently they landed on a hidden secondary roof which is my one of my favorite quotes <laughs> it's just uh, it's amazing i've come across them in real life <laughs> or when i'm playing warzone with my friends i was like oh there's another roof here it's like a uh, hidden, hidden secondary, secondary roof, roof. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they are things they are real <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but yeah it's, it's just that that's their way that they film to get around that that's that's yep. the tactic they decide to use. Personally, you need the impact, otherwise commentary selling it doesn't work. Yeah. End of. If you don't show it me, like in terms like like with the draft this week, commentators acting is speaking speaking excited instead of giving me something exciting. It's not the same. And with the landing, they needed the landing. They were right in terms of that. They needed the Chris Jericho crashing into something. It just sucks. They cut to the wrong camera. Yeah, and That's and they it. also I should add I also want them to be doing putting protection in place for these things because oh, yeah. I mean these guys are psychos they probably will take it or maybe not Chris Jericho but like the alternative is say Matt Hardy going off that cherry picker and bloody concussing himself on concrete in the middle of a pay per view mm-hmm. I don't want to see that like I want yeah. them to protect their performers to a degree when they do these things just yeah as as, as we've said gotta shoot it right. <laughs> Because it does, it, it, mm. it, it robbed this of its gravity. I want to move beyond that because there's more to discuss in the legacy of this match than just that. One of the interesting things about this was this was a huge and intense and violent match, but it was the first match they had in their feud. How do you feel that that affected the rhythm of this feud, Imp? I remember at the time thinking this should, that the fact that it went on as long as it did, and I remember I wasn't excited for Stadium Stampede 2, like, mm. at all. And when the, and then the match happened, and I didn't actually care whilst I was watching it either. 
it it felt like this was an as you called it with the accidental pun off this was a character pinnacle moment for mjf so the next thing was it felt when i say wwe i just meant they're in a feud therefore the feud continues mm. <laughs> type of thing where it was kind of they were still building to the singles match for me that yep. was the big thing to be going to i don't think i wanted another multi-man and if i did want a multi-man a different kind of thing um, I don't think Steam Stampede was the right way to go, mm. um, personally. And by yep. the time you saw it with the fans' reaction, whilst they were still feuding to their big singles match, uh, finally getting there with Jacob and MJF, there was a little bit of fan disinterest, I guess. Like yeah. Kind of zone. Yeah, they weren't. I mean, the the uh, whatever it's called of Jericho, where they're building to mm. the big singles match. The labors. It was a great. Yeah, it's a great five weeks, an amazing peak with the Nick Gage match, <laughs> but. Uh, that interest wasn't there just because it had been stretched out a little bit too long. Mm. And maybe part of that is hitting this amazing beat immediately. Like if you do it the other way around, Mm. like this this builds the stadium to Stampede, then you get the Blood and Guts match. Mm. Maybe it works, maybe it works. But this is an amazing, like, MJF supervillain setup, which then kind of leads to him being the supervillain during the uh, Stadium Stampede and then Mm. to the big singles match. It's an odd one. I think it started strong and ended strong, personally. It's just that mm. middle portion where they stretched it yeah. out. Uh, so I don't, I don't quite know what the legacy is going to be because it, it's an f- amazing first note. With Oh, is it an amazing first note for its legacy <laughs> in the fall? But in terms of MJF's character specifically, there's that amazing elevation of him to supervillain. Mm. Then there's the kind of um, payoff in loss to Chris Jericho there because that then sets Je- uh, MJF on another character spiral. <laughs> yeah. which is what you need to do with MJF. He doesn't need to be consistently winning, but just consistently onto mm. the next character spiral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the logic that Jericho used to sort of, cause, cause it did get brought up at the time. And the logic that Jericho used was, we want to kick this off. Like appetite of destruction kicks off with welcome mm. to the jungle. Um, and we want to blow the doors off with this feud. But what I, I don't know, watching back, cause we now have the benefit of hindsight, which to be fair, they didn't have then. Um, but this wasn't, the, this isn't the traditional way to structure a wrestling, a wrestling feud is go with the biggest, bloodiest match first. Um, and watching this back, I did get the feeling like this would have been such a good way to end it. Like, <laughs> yeah. That the wrestling logic, I think it's right. Like it's right. And it's lasted so long and it just proved because it is right. And knowing the way these two teams interacted, this would have been an incredible way to finish things because if you can just imagine, if you can supplant some of the stuff that happened individually to the before this, so the interactions between FTR and Proud and Powerful, they their interactions that they had after this would have informed this match so much better. Oh, like, yeah. If you just had this exact same match, like it would have made that, the interaction between those two teams in the cage so much better. Uh, And same with the Hager and Wardlow stuff. Like they've had their MMA match. They've had, you know, their big Hoss match. They've had, you know, maybe even the stadium stampedes, the first thing that they do, they've had their little, they're like their square off. And this is like the, when they finally come together after decimating each team, like this is the final square up between these two teams. It was ambitious to do it this way and good on them for trying but the traditional wrestling logic is right. A match like this should be at the end of a feud. And I, I do hope that AEW takes that logic on board and, and does it that way because by not doing it that way, by just making it sort of an annual fixture, the end point is what's happened in the WWE now with, with you know, Hell in a Cell where it's been robbed of its gravitas. And this is a match that has tremendous gravitas, but you can ruin that. It's not always going to have that if you don't make it happen. Yeah, and the I guess I guess another thing I think for me personally, it still works if you swap blood and guts and stage stampede round. Like yeah. Stage yep. stampede always happening at double or nothing. Maybe a bit of a you don't yeah. have to do that. And like when you're watching a big film with multiple characters, mm. or I guess even with the like the Last of Us two, where there's so many different characters involved, yeah. But then right at the end, you boil it down to your two main characters. Yep. And that's what that's what all the movies will do as well. Yeah, true. Big, yeah, big massive battle right at the end, but it boils down to just the main two, like the super villain and the main character right at the end. And they could have done that here easily, as in with everything that's happened. Yeah. Then Chris Joker mm. forced himself through the trials 
it, yeah, it's, because it's, yeah. because MJF's just thrown him off, right? And so it's mm. perfect if MJF's like, why, yeah. why the hell <laughs> would I go against you again? Like you just mm. gave up to me. Like I, you didn't. Yeah. And and of course Chris Jericho's you know all fired up because of what's happened to him. And so the labors make perfect sense going straight after this. But they, you know, I, I said the gravitas that they robbed it of. Like Jericho came back the week after and didn't sell the injuries all that much. So, yeah, mm. anyway, we've got the benefit of yeah. hindsight now, which is a benefit, but, you know, hopefully AEW learns from that as well as they go forward. A couple more questions for you. Real quick one. How do you think this compares to the WWE War Games re- since they relaunched War Games? There's been some War Games that I really enjoyed. I think it was just specifically this year. I even wrote a column before it happened. I was just like, I just don't care this year, whatever they've done. I feel like that's a major difference is they, it's become like Hell in a Cell a bit at this point, as in mm. every year there's a War Games yep. at this point. Yeah. And the it's, first, I think... It's it November, so William years. Regal's going to scream War mm. Games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> war Games! <laughs> as he says every time. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was fine for the first two years. and they. But the most recent one was a bit main rostery in the sense of, oh, this has come out of nowhere. Let's, let's start building to it directly now. Mm. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, especially with the women's one. The men's a bit different because at least they're doing Adam Cole, Pat McAfee beforehand. Yeah. But it's just that thing of, like, where's this pay-per-view come out of nowhere? What do you mean? Like, the schedules are released, like, a year ahead. <laughs> you can't be caught off guard by a pay-per-view out of nowhere. <laughs> That's not how it happens, surely. Surely not. But I got that little sense this year. And the women's one felt extremely thrown together. And it was, it felt a bit more like, watch these people do these crazy cool things, but there's no character gravitas to anything mm. i'm seeing it's i'm not sold the reason why these people would really want mm. to beat each other up in this match it didn't feel like this had been brought together to solve this massive feud mm. it felt like uh, it's that, that time of year again for this thing and these are the competitors this time yes yeah. it's, it's not <laughs> having having the undisputed era is was the perfect for the first few war games because you know mm. this is already a team and so it's very easy to you know cobble together a team of faces who happen to be against them uh, and and just make it a combined force against them rather than uh, a singular, you know, having to have two disparate teams that don't, and neither team really has history together. Uh, so uh, for me, I guess by direct comparison with the matches, um, I said before that this one did seem to drag and it felt like I felt like I could see the seams um, of it. And I didn't get particularly the first two war games matches that I would say they're more spectacular in terms of, you know, much more flat. Whereas this was, I mean, blood and guts in the title. Like this was more gritty. This was more intense. Uh, and I do think this was more violent as well. Uh, so they were different in what they were trying to do. But then also, as I said, I didn't feel the seams of the War Games matches quite as much as I did this one. Um, so there is, you know, there's that as well. So uh, is that the difference between pay-per-view and television, I guess? In terms possibly, of like the yeah. Match? Yeah, because of the mm. the reality of having the having the breaks when they needed to, true. Um, that's very true. Uh, what do you think the prospects are for a future blood and guts imp? Don't do it annually would be my one yep. thing. Yeah. I agree more. Yeah. Because I think Tony Connor said as well that he'd like to do another exposed bar by a death match, but same comment for that. It doesn't need to be annual. If you just kind of, you don't, yeah. as in it gets to summer slash late spring and it's like, Oh, we haven't done a blood and guts yet this year. You don't have to do one. And I feel like keeping it special is a better idea. You saw what happened with WWE, where they had the first head in the cell and it kind of built, but then they started to have it more routinely. It's like, oh, we need to have one every year. And then it got to that point of, well, let's just name a pay-per-view head in the cell. And now it's at that point of, uh, and this year's yeah. competitors in Squid Games. Like, it's just not... It's not <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it lacks reason for it to be mm. in Hell in a Cell other than it's that time of year. And I don't want that to happen with these kind of matches. That's the lesson to be learned. And AEW have shown a really good ability to learn from both like the WCW past, what yep. mistakes TNA made, mistakes WWE have made, and try to implement it in the show. For me, that's my biggest criticism of WWE is they're not learning from their own mistakes. Yep. And AEW seem to be, they're not perfect, but they are taking it on board and yep. learning from mistakes, which is yep. massive. 
And part one of that is don't do blood and guts every single year. <laughs> given given how like faction based AEW is, you know, everyone in AEW has got relationships. Um, they've got friends, they've got allies, and typically they've got people, multiple people that they are set up against. Uh, I think blood and guts, I think, will be a regular feature, and I. Cannot wait to see what the elite do in a blood and guts match. Like what, what the young bucks, Kenny Omega, Adam Cole, and who's going to be the fifth man this time? I guess Carl Anderson or Doc Gallows, yeah. or even why not throw Brandon Cutler in there? Yeah, be, <laughs> <that'd be interesting. laughs> like what what they could, what those five men could do in the double ring with the double rings and the roof and. I, I have to see this. Like I, I really want to see Elite. And who who knows who you put them against? I mean, at the moment, it's like they're up against sort of a motley crew of Jurassic Express, Brian Danielson, Christian Cage, and um, you know, you just throw. Why not throw Marco Stunt in there? Why, yeah. you know, you could do that right now. Or it looks like, you know, it looks like they're going to be going back to the cycling back to the sort of the Hangman Page stuff. So you could have Hangman and the Dark Order against against the elite in a blood and guts match who knows you know I, I, I cannot imagine that cody is not chomping at the bit to get in there somehow um no matter I, who, I personally, who he ends up against he'll, he'll want to get in there at some point and bleed yeah. bleed buckets <laughs> i think personally for me the one that immediately jumped out of me in terms of what would i like to see and it definitely feeds into my don't do it every year but I've got the thing of them. They are slowly building to supervillain Cody as he goes full Homelander. For me, you do blood <laughs> and guts when he's turned full full Homelander. <laughs> in like after that, mm. uh, obviously, I'm talking like a year and a half minimum. Yeah, for him to have turned to have built up a stable to have risen to that point. Um, and personally, I would have for at least the next half a year. He's still going. Oh no, I'm not going to go back on my word about the title thing. Before he goes back on his word. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And look, if they waited a year and a half, I'd be fine with that. Like, you look how how good was it the, with the steel cage? Like, they waited over a year. A year, actually, a year and a half, pretty much bang on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, they waited a year and a half before they did another steel cage match. And because mm. of that, like, when it happened, it it meant a lot. And the matches that have been in a steel cage now, the legacy of a steel cage match is super intense so the next time that happens you know whoever happens to you know if if hangman and kenny end up having a steel cage match or you know mjf and someone who have a steel cage match to keep the pinnacle out like that's gonna be mm. like you know you know it's about to go down when that happens so yeah definitely mm. on to the match it's back to the match itself just to wrap things up i think my conclusion when i rewatched this was this is a flawed but great match. There are some flaws to it, as we've pointed out, but as a as an initial match, like it really set a fantastic tone for Blood and Guts. And the next time a Blood and Guts match does come up, I think people are going to be really excited for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of, in large part, because of how good this one was, uh, how violent it was, how gritty it was. Uh, and, and when it happens, you know, maybe it's going to be people putting a different spin on it, but there's going to be energy in the air because of how this match went down oh yeah and just the way they are building up more and more factions it gets to that point of they could build up a feud with anyone yep. <laughs> just any of these you've got the super team of uh, moxley kingston sting and darby allen oh, <laughs> it's just... can you imagine what john moxley and eddie <laughs> kingston would do it and darby allen man yeah. I'm, I'm a bit worried about darby allen actually he probably would oh, yeah. he'd probably just take it to the concrete he just cough and drop <laughs> to the concrete <laughs> As in, yeah, if Darby Allen's in that match, he's the one taking the mental bump, whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> he won't need that amount of padding. Uh, but yeah, it, um, there's so many different ways he can go. And of course, we're seeing small character tweaks right now, like possibly Moxley's doing a slow heel turn or some form of turn to be more aggressive. And you've got uh, Cody with whatever his thing is. You've got the new people in. Danielson is kind of falling into an area. CM Punk saying that this happy tour is not going to last forever <laughs> type of thing. There's so many different avenues you can go down. I think personally, the only thing I would do is not have the same competitors. Mm. I think that's the only difference I'd have. As in neither the pinnacle nor inner circle. Yep. Which is a difference from what we've seen with War Games, where it's like this was the undisputed era's thing. This yep. was their match for the for initial years. Uh, so that's personally what I would do. 
and leaving it in the year and a half really does give you that time to build yep. that up and go that way anyway. Well, that's that about wraps it up for both of us, I think. Um, I've definitely said all I can about this match. Um, as I said, flawed but great. Uh, Imp, would you like to tell the good people where they can find you? I would like to tell the good people where they can find me. <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at the damn Implicat. That's damn as in damn. Also over on Twitch at the Implications with two S's. Uh, they can also read my uh, columns over at WrestlingHeadlines.net. Who knows what I'll be writing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, I do the weekly Raw and AEW Dynamite reviews for Wrestling Headlines in both podcast form and over on their YouTube channel. Uh, that I do those every Tuesday and Thursday night. And because I'm not mental, I'm not going to stay up late and do an immediate review. <laughs> <laughs> My sleep schedule is bad enough as it is with me just doing aftershock over the, after the pay-per-views. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, uh, but yes, um, I yes, I'll be doing I'm doing those weekly, so you can catch me there. And I think that's everything I got to plug. And you may catch me on the odd uh, the odd AEW review show as well if you if you want to find me there. Um, you can also find me at Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, on Twitter, if you want to come and talk to us about the War Games match, about this match, or any of the matches that we review here on the AEW Match Guide podcast, you can also find the definitive AEW Match Guide on WrestlingHeadlines.com. There'll be a link in the podcast notes. And, of course, you can listen to all of the great podcasts covering all aspects of the wrestling world on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You can find that in your podcast feeds wherever you go. Next week, we will be covering the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros from Double or Nothing 2019, going right back to the start of the promotion so i'm very excited about that but thank you very much for joining me this week imp i really appreciate having you on for the second time and thank you very much to the anyone out there who is listening i really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you again next week thanks for listening to the AEW match guide podcast if you enjoyed the show then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.